0: Well, welcome again to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson, and I am your host for this series of podcasts where we talk about moving away from toxic spirituality, counterfeit Christianity, and back into the green pastures of genuine Christian faith as it is marked by joyful, healthy, spiritual living. Now, that takes quite effort, as I've said in the past. If you're new, I'm happy you've joined us. I'm delighted that you're here. I suspect that you have joined in this podcast because of the title, The Unhappy Christian, which tells me that you probably have some unhappiness going on in your life. Uh, Of course, there are a lot of reasons for someone to be unhappy. Uh, and it can stem anywhere from relational issues to health issues, financial issues, uh, a generalized anxiety or a generalized uh, depression. Uh, there are a lot of things that um, uh, certainly the secular world will tell you may be the causes of your general unhappiness. Some people are suffering severely. Some people suffer uh, spiritual depression and Other forms of serious illnesses tied to their spiritual condition. It has been my experience personally and it has been my observation in my work with my clients over the years that most if at least 98.9% of the things that we face that cause unhappiness are tied to our spiritual condition and that doesn't make it any easier. That doesn't mean that it's any less painful that doesn't mean that somehow i'm here to offer you some formalized quick and easy answer but what i am here to offer you is some testimony some um, answers some solutions for a new trajectory so you can at least feel that you are on a new path a new um, way out of that wilderness of toxic spirituality out of that incredibly big and dry and barren and demon populated wilderness uh, that we call western evangelicalism in so many respects and back into the green pastures that your shepherd died to uh, bring you to so I know that sounds a little dramatic. Some of you may be perhaps rolling your eyes even. But folks, I'm telling you, that's where it's at. We are in some serious times right now, spiritually. And it's very important that we um, be awake to that. Um, It's very important that we be conscious of the fact that that we are living in a very uh, dangerous time, not just politically, not just socially, not just economically. Those dangerous times have been going since, well, since the fall in the garden. It has, since that fall that, in that garden, it has not been safe to live in this world. It's been dangerous. Uh, there's no safety to be had living in a fallen world. It's a threatening place. What safety we do enjoy is a gift of grace. It's a, it's a gift of a sovereign, gracious God who brings that protection and that provision into our life as an act of mercy to us. So we are in a dangerous time. There's a lot of wilderness out there. There's a lot of counterfeit Christianity. And it concerns me for you. I'm concerned that that there's a growing uh, amount of it. I see it in my counseling office, and the prevalence of it really alarms me. And it's happening on two levels, of course. It's happening on a pastoral level, and it's happening on a doctrinal level, meaning uh, there's, there's becoming less and less pastoral care that's genuinely available to you. And the teaching that's going on is becoming more superficial, more shallow, more twisted, more distorted, more manipulative. And if you are a genuine Christian, if you are, in fact, a true Christian, if you're devoted to your faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be very difficult to discern what is good and what is evil in the midst of so much of what calls itself Christianity. So that's one of the reasons we do this podcast, is to help you exercise discernment, to give you some information, some pastoral guidance as the how to stay out of the pit, how to stay out of the, the um, ditches, if you will, and stay on the path of following in those blood-stained footprints of Jesus Christ. Now, I've been thinking lately about this reality that we have when it comes to living the Christian life. I am always surprised that the people who come into my counseling office have been given so little teaching So little instruction as to how they could live the Christian life. Now, that's not to say that they are just new to the faith. I'm not speaking of just people who have uh, been Christians only for a few months. I'm talking about people who have been Christians for decades. Sometimes people in their 70s, even their 80s, who have lived a lifetime of shallow silliness passing as preaching. And, um, or religious structure that is just really um, dead and lifeless. And, and of course, their life reflects that. Their relational life, their, their finances, their health, their state peace of mind, all reflects that, that spiritual environment. So what I would say to you today is that when it comes to what it means to live the Christian life, that the average Christian goes through life untaught. Let me say that again. When it comes to what it means to live the Christian life, the average Christian goes through life untaught, largely ignorant of what it means to be a Christian. Now, I recognize that most professing Christians go to church, they read Bible verses, they pray occasionally, they pay regularly, they avoid the grosser moral sins most for the most part, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. You've heard me say it before and you'll continue to hear me say it, that to be a Christian, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ by walking in the Spirit, by learning to develop your communion with the triune God who has saved you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what we have in front of us is a gauntlet. What we have around us is a wilderness. And it is difficult to discern in this place where so many Christians are left untaught as to how to live the Christian life. It's difficult to discern as to whether this is because it is how they want it, which is uncomfortable to even admit that there are professing Christians who want things exactly as they are, or because most pastors have advocated their responsibility to teach well. Perhaps it's a combination thereof. It's hard to discern whether it's because the state of Western Christianity is the way it is because that's what people demand or because that's what pastors have been trained to provide, but I suspect it's both. In the first instance, we have nominal Christians and the pews have been filled of our churches since the seeker sensitivity and all the marketing and the entrepreneurial business model that's been adopted by the church, we have nominal Christianity, meaning people who may not even be truly in Christ. But they are nonetheless churchgoers, they adhere to a routine, and, and they're seeking social connection, but they care very little about what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ. That's a reality, folks. That's a reality. That's just part of what we're living with these days. There are also those who are genuine believers, meaning they've experienced the Spirit in conversion. They're truly united to Christ by faith, but they are woefully immature. Listen, if you are a genuine Christian, if you've been born of the Spirit, if you're devoted to Jesus Christ, you're probably still living in the midst of a church that is largely populated by nominal Christianity. Nominal Christians, most of whom are not even really Christians, but they are churchgoers. And there's a big difference, isn't there? They're they're, uh, going to get, and you're going to get the same level of shallow entertainment in the form of uh, pastors who pretend more like they're um, improv comedians than they are, or late-night television shows, given a not monologue, than they are teachers of the faith. And if you're in the midst of all of that, if you're in the midst of one of those churches where the uh, model for the church is some kind of Uh, program to appeal to religious consumers by providing a product that they will be attracted to, you're not going to get much solid teaching there. You're certainly not going to be taught how to live the Christian faith. And so what happens in those kind of situations is that genuine Christians remain woefully immature because they're not being taught. So you have spiritual infants and you have spiritual adolescence at best, mixed in with a lot of nominal, professing Christians who aren't even really born of the Spirit, who really don't have a devotion to Jesus Christ. They have a devotion to the Church. They have a devotion to their social group within the Church. But each of these groups lives in a very precarious situation. And that is, I would have to say, that is probably typical of the American church today, is to have a, a, a churches filled with nominal Christians, with a sprinkling of genuine Spirit-born people within the congregation, who are having to live with a level of pastoral care that is common for professing nominal Christians, not for those who are genuinely interested in growing in Christ. Now, in Hebrews chapter 5, we hear some of this phenomena. The good news is, folks, is that none of, of what I'm saying is new. It has been a plague on the people of God from the beginning. From the day that Moses led the people of God out of Egypt, throughout redemptive history in ancient Israel, into the early days of the church, throughout church history, and leaving us into today, these things have been going on. So you can take some heart from that, can't you? That you're not unique. We're not living in a uniquely uh, strange time. But it is one of those eras. We we In, in church history, we recognize that there's been Times of revival and reformation, and then there's been times of decline and heresy and error, and even the Dark Ages, where the gospel just gets completely gl- eclipsed. And you have a institutionalized form of Christianity that is really dead at its core. And unless the Holy Spirit moves to revive and to restore and to bring reformation, things stay like that. And whole generations, countless generations of people get run through those systems who never hear the gospel. And then if they do hear the gospel, they don't know if they like it. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11, he says this, quote, We have much to say about this, speaking about the priesthood of Jesus. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ, and be be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. And, God permitting, we will do so, the writer says. Then he goes on to give this ominous warning. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation." Quote. What the writer to the Hebrews is warning about is a form of nominal Christianity that looks like Christianity, sounds like Christianity, they use Christian symbols, they use Christian terminologies, They've made some identification with Christ, but they are not growing. There's no true spiritual life there. There's no true spiritual life, and we see that, we know that, because of what he just said when he refers to the land that produces thorns and thistles, that it's worthless and is in danger of being cursed. So all through the book of Hebrews, he's warning of people, who identify with the Church, who make a, perhaps even a verbal profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but withhold, hold themselves back, and do not make a genuine conversion. They have not experienced the Spirit. Their hearts remain the same as when, as when before they were converted, quote-unquote. And so they look like Christians, they may be attending your fellowship, but they're really not. The problem we have today is that Western evangelicalism has been set up in such a way by pastors and church leaders to accommodate those people. Rather than speak in ways to try to convert them, to bring them into genuine faith, We've treated them as if they were mere religious consumers, to be appeased, to be placated, to be offered a survey at the end of our service to discuss whether or not, uh, to discover whether or not they liked what we did, and if they didn't, if too many didn't, then we'll change things, because we want those people back. It's insanity. I received a. Um, notification the other night on uh, Facebook that a local pastor was having uh, uh, a uh, block party in the church parking lot. And this man offered a little video of him looking into the camera with his sunglasses and baseball hat and so on. And he was given a kind of a slack-eyed, silly grin. You know, the kind of cool persona. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I'm cool. I'm safe. You're safe with me, man. You're safe with our church. Everything's cool here. You're not going to be threatened. Come on by. And he was commenting about how that the world is nuts and there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and we can't control most of it. And so, the way they respond to the fact that the world is broken and violent and there's crime and injustice and and all that goes on in a fallen world. He said what they were going to do about it at his church is have a block party. Really, that's what he said. He said this is the condition of the world. He explained it. He said so what we decided to do is have a block party. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have balloon animals. We're going to have a dunk tank, food trucks, games for the kids. We want everybody in our neighborhood to come by and just see how fun our church can be. Folks, you can't make this stuff up anymore. That's the level of pastoral care that's going on today. When the world around you is on fire, and an evangelical pastor takes out a violin and starts playing you a tune, you know it's time to get out of there. Yeah, instead of saying, the world is a very difficult place right now, it's very challenging, it's very fearful, and i put together a series of messages to address that, to help you understand that from a biblical perspective to help you understand who you are in christ and how you can respond to that biblically and and by walking in the spirit overcome it instead you're going to be handed a latte and a balloon animal oh and a chance to dunk the pastor too that's where we're at folks Listen, it is better to have never heard the gospel than to hear what it isn't. To hear something called the gospel that isn't. Now, the fact is, however, that there are many professing Christians who like that. They like it just the way it is. They like to come to a block party. They don't want to hear the word of God preached. They don't want to hear the um, solution. They don't, want to, they don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. They want to identify with the church and they want to have a block party instead. They may want to have the social benefits of belonging to a church, but they're not really not interested in following Jesus. I'm not being cynical here. <laughs> I wish I was. I mean, my heart just breaks. My heart grieves daily. As a counselor, I I get to see the inside track, folks. There's what's happening, and there's what's happening. There's what appears is happening, and there's what is really happening. And because of my position, I get to see what's really happening. And I'm concerned. That's why I have started these podcasts. I know many of you out there are just laboring under this nonsense. And yet, I know there are some who are just impatient when it comes to spiritual disciplines, such as reading the text of Scripture. We're surrounded by nominal Christianity that is really impatient with spiritual disciplines, they're they're not interested in that, they want a formula. They want three easy steps. They don't want sound doctrine. They, don't want, they want to feel better about themselves. They don't want true godliness. They want to identify with Jesus, but they don't want to become like Jesus. They want to go to heaven. But as individuals, they want to own their own 40 acres in heaven someday. They don't want to go as a serving member of the people of God. And all of this shows up in how they approach the text of Scripture. A nominal Christian will see the Scripture as a set of rules to follow, or simply a series of nice stories designed to inspire them. A nominal Christian will read devotionally and they'll rely more on the commentary or, of the devotional or their notes in their study Bibles and never learn to hear the voice of the Spirit in the text, which is where you get life, by the way. When they do approach the text, they don't hear the argument of the author. They don't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying in the text nor his intended meaning of the author who's writing, let alone the exhortation that follows the argument. So they never hear from God. I don't think it's uh, unfair to say that there are untold millions of Christians who carry a Bible who have no idea how to read it. They read the Bible, and when they do read it, they read it devotionally. They don't study it. They don't know how to, because they haven't been taught. Now, whether they haven't been taught because they don't want to be taught, or they haven't been taught because the pastoral care is so such a low ebb in their life, it's hard to discern. It's probably a little of both. Jesus had an encounter with a group of people in his country, and he told them one time, he said, quote, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, he says, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, Jesus says. He says, Quote, your accuser is Moses, on whom you hope set your hopes. if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? What Jesus was instructing this group of Jews he was talking to is he was saying to them, You search the scriptures, but you don't know what you're searching. you don't know how to read it.' Your eyes have been blinded. Your hearts are so hard that when you come to the text, you're not looking for Jesus. You're looking for something for yourselves. You're not looking for him. You're looking for something to make you feel better about yourselves. You're not seeking God in the text. You're seeking some other agenda. So they never hear from God. Even when they do read the text. And so, this is what happens with nominal Christianity. They approach the text, but they never hear the argument of the author, nor his intended meaning, let alone the exhortation that follows the argument. You have to be prepared to read, certainly, all of Scripture, but especially the New Testament letters and the Gospels. As they were intended to be read, they are intended to reveal to you the person of Jesus Christ. They're intended to reveal to you the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and by encountering that glory, you are transformed into the image of Christ, from glory to glory by the Spirit. That's Second Corinthians chapter three, six through four, verse six. That whole section of Second Corinthians talks about being a new covenant Christian. Where you encounter the text, and the and the, the the text is allowed to encounter you, and the Spirit works through the text, and you and you behold with your spiritual eyesight the image of Christ, the glory of Christ, and you are transformed into His image. You are not made into some better, more successful person in your own right. You are made to look like jesus it's in him that we discover who we truly are but when you don't want that when you're looking for easy formulas when you're looking for nice stories or you're simply reading devotionally and you're more concerned about what the devotional writer says or the study bible notes say many entrepreneurial type of pastors pick up on this and they seek to please these people by offering shallow readings and inspiration mo- inspirational moments in their sermonizing. They, many of them today bring this hip, slick, and cool attitude when they come to the podium. And they come walking onto the stage with their latte in their hand. <laughs> I don't know where this image of the cool pastor with the sunglasses and the latte in his hand and i don't know where that came up i mean i guess they're trying to appeal to the the, to the culture but they're not there to proclaim the life-giving gospel they're there to appeal to other cool people they're there to assure you that man you can come here and everything will be great no one's going to challenge you you're just going to find people who like you and love on you. <laughs> oh, If it wasn't so utterly tragic, it would be funny, wouldn't it? So again, it's difficult to know what comes first. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 through 31, Jeremiah cries out, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies, and the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? I think I'll read that again, just to show you that this is not new. A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land, says Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was not an angry man, and nor am I. I do these podcasts because I grieve for you. I grieve for the state of the church. It's a constant burden on my heart and mind. When I sit with a client for 60 or 90 minutes and And I'm clear that these people are laboring under toxic theology, toxic, counterfeit Christianity. When someone tells me if they don't tithe, they, they believe they're under a curse. What? or after they've suffered abuse, sexual, physical abuse, They're simply told, and it's chronic, it's ongoing, and they're they're told to just forgive the abuser. And these are the things that I hear. So Jeremiah cries out. Jeremiah says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. That's the news headline of that day. The prophets prophesy lies, and the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? I listened to a I saw another Facebook post the other day where a, a young woman was rejoicing in the fact that she hadn't had a drink of alcohol in three days. She was an alcoholic and she had several days worth of sobriety and she was excited about it. She said, "I don't even feel I don't even feel like I want a drink today." And she said she was so relieved because while she struggles with alcoholism, she's always been so terrified of the fact that Jesus would leave her behind in the secret rapture when it came. And she'd be left behind because she's an alcoholic. Folks, that is something of an aberrant, cruel, form of theology, a detestable fantasy-based eschatology called dispensationalism. And this is a young woman who's suffering from its teachings. And it's time to call these things out, folks. It's time to say, hey, enough of this. Enough of this. These teachings are not benign. They are destroying people's lives. They steal your peace of mind. They kill your sense of joy. And in the end, just as Jeremiah asked, but in the end, what will you do? In the end, you'll be destroyed by them. So theology matters. Theology is not just a matter of the universities or the seminaries. Theology, like psychology or sociology or any of these other studies, They have real effects on real people's lives. In Ezekiel chapter 13, we read, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imaginations, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. End quote. He goes on, Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations are a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say, The Lord declares, and expect Him to fulfill their words? Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, The Lord declares, though I have not spoken? End quote. It's been a plague throughout the redemptive history. I'm inclined, because of my pastoral background, I'm, I'm inclined to say this is past all the pastor's fault. And I, I think it is. I think the lion's share. I think it originates with bad teaching. And just because people become accustomed to it, and just because bad teaching or shallow teaching attracts, attracts nominal Christianity, attracts empty professors into your church so that you can look around and say boy the congregation's growing what's well, growing because you're not preaching the truth you're not you're you're offering a Disneyland carnival approach to the church if what you're really doing is saying on sunday mornings come see us we're cool we're we're an event. We're a happening place to be. Come and hang out with us. hear some good music. I'll give you a word of inspiration. Make your life better and have you help you face your life, your week in a more successful manner. Then you're going to get people who will respond to that kind of thing. It's not their fault that they come. It's the guy or the women or the men or the leaders or the elders who are saying that kind of garbage. If you're caught up in one of those kind of churches, it's better to stay home, folks, than be caught up in one of those kind of churches. Find fellowship elsewhere. God will supply you with fellowship. He will never allow you to be utterly alone. But at some point, we either have to confront this kind of thing, or we have to walk away from it. I know there are pastors, I've talked to them, who said, well, I really can't teach anything too weighty or, or too substantive, because it'll scare a lot of people in the church away. What do you say to that? What if you, had, if you had cancer and your doctor told you, you know, I really can't apply a treatment that will cure you because, well, I'm just concerned that if we cure you, it'll make other people feel bad. Because if they don't get cured, then, well, then, you know, you're it'll just be a bad thing. So I, I'm not going to apply the treatment to you. We're just going to... Get together and and have a little group and and we'll just talk about how good it is to be in a group. I mean, you'd walk away from that doctor in a moment. You'd say you got to be kidding. You pack up your coat and you wouldn't even pay that bill. You just go out, get in the elevator, and go home. But for some reason, we'll 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 crowd into these churches. Where clearly the pastor and the leaders have their own personal agenda. You are a means. To their end they have an entrepreneurial vision for building a quote-unquote successful church and you are a, a means to that end and that's the level of pastoral care you're going to get I get every week a number of requests from different ministries that come to my LLC, um, asking people, asking me for money. I, uh, there's never ending stream of ministries. Some good ministries, some just utterly awful. Ridiculous. But they're all offering, they're all putting business reply envelopes in their mail-ins. And they're all asking for money. Isn't it, wouldn't it be nice if that stopped? Wouldn't it be nice if, Ministry was not about money. Wouldn't it be nice if ministry is really about teaching you how to live the Christian life? Wouldn't it be nice if pastoral care was about teaching you how to walk in the Spirit and hear the voice of your shepherd again? I want to close with just this little word of personal testimony. I know I'm going a little longer than I used to, usually do, but In 1992, after nearly 20 years of superficial, shallow teaching, and I was part of a big happening church at the time, it it, it failed to penetrate into my heart and mind in a way that was transformational. And consequently, my life looked like it. My marriage was failing, my health was failing, my job was failing, my kids were upset and angry and I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to take drugs. I didn't want to come under the care of a psychologist. I, did, I didn't want to do all that thing. I just, I just didn't know what to do. So I picked up a little New Testament. And when the pain got too great, I would just start reading it. There were days, as dangerous as it was, that I was driving down the street with this little New Testament held up against my steering wheel, reading it as I drove along glancing up at the street. <laughs> I realized that got dangerous, so I bought it on tape, cassette tape at the time, and started listening to it on cassette tape. And I didn't try to do much with it. I just listened to it. And I went from Matthew through Revelation, stopped, went back through Matthew, through Revelation again. And every time I got to the end of Revelation, I just started all over again. And what was happening is I was getting a steady feed of the Bible, free, for the first time in my life, free from the impositions of predetermined presuppositions by the preacher, by the system, by the denomination, by the um, long-standing religious tradition or systematics. In other words, I'd taken those Things off the text and let the text say. Now I didn't do it intentionally, but I feel now that the Lord was guiding me. And I was just reading the text. I was just listening to the text read out loud, and that's when it was most meaningful to me. By the way, is when I was just listening to it, and I listened to it until the pain began to subside. When the pain got too great, from I just began listening to the text and let it run. And I listened to it. And I began to discover that there was such power, such life, such witness to Jesus Christ in that text that I had never heard before. And I could feel my heart being sensitized to the voice of the Spirit. And over a period of months, my life began to change. And I developed a whole new appreciation for the Word of God, for the Scriptures, as they stand alone. Without having to have some theological system or denomination or somebody impose their views on top of it and me read it through that view. It was life changing. It was life transformation. That was the beginning point of where I am today. So I recommend that. I wish I could see all your faces. I wish we could meet and talk one on one. But I can offer you that today. You can begin there. Set aside your study Bible. Set aside your devotionals. Open up a good translation of the text. And begin to just Let it speak to you. Just read it. Just read it. And read it within its context. Don't just read a passage here and a passage there. Read a letter as it was intended to be read, as a letter. Read the Gospels as they were intended to be read. From A to Z. Read it. Get it on CD or on your phone and have it play in the car while you're driving. Just let it begin to speak to you. Listen, that's how you learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. And as you develop a sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit, you will develop a sensitivity to His voice that will help you learn to walk in accord with His voice, with His direction, with His guidance. You'll learn to begin to sense the living waters of the Holy Spirit moving in your life, cleansing, renewing, refreshing, Renewing your mind, refreshing your soul. And then begin to share that with another Christian. Find fellowship based around that. True fellowship. And not all this slack-eyed silliness that's going on in the churches today. On the other hand, if if you're really interested in being just part of a hip, slick, and cool nightclub-type atmosphere on Sunday mornings, then there's plenty of churches out there to do that you probably won't, won't, won't want to listen to this podcast anymore. <laughs> and I'll understand. But if you're hurting, and you're looking for solutions, and you're looking for a way out of the wilderness, I hope you join me again. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you. And we'll continue to talk about these things, and we'll continue to point to solutions that can help you step away from the nightmare, the insanity of what's going on out there in Christianity. And find again the green pastures and recover the voice of your shepherd and find peace. May the Lord comfort you in his presence until we talk again. Amen.